Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, turn with me, will you, to Deuteronomy 28. We're continuing our Blessed is Better series. And this is message number nine in our Blessed is Better series, which is exciting. So, um, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all His commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit basket and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. And will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, the Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He swore He would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. When I was a child growing up, um, my mother would have certain statements that she would have. How many, how many of you can remember the things your parents would repetitively say? You, the, you have these things that you always say, and I'm sure our, par- our kids are just remembering a stock of set statements that we, we try and sort of like ingrain into them uh, for their um, good and for their upbringing. We feel it is, but when we were children, we just sort of smirk at our parents' strange ways. And uh, my mother would always have this sort of saying, it would be, um, if uh, she would be saying things like, you know, brush your hair. Do you remember those days when you brushed your hair? Everyone had a brush. Men would brush their hair. I mean, I know women brush their hair, but men brush their hair, didn't they? Men don't brush their hair anymore. I don't brush my hair. The most nearest a brush I get is my fingers. That's what you do. And then when it gets worse than that, Cheryl has to cut it. And uh, um, which is a reminder, Cheryl has to cut it. That Cheryl, Cheryl has to cut it. And uh, so, uh, and so she would say, make sure you um, brush your hair and Polish your shoes. That's another thing that we would... Every week we had to polish our shoes. Now, true to say, I had one pair of shoes and a pair of plimsolls. That was it. And, uh, and so we, we wore our shoes all the time. And uh, every Saturday night we would polish our shoes. And it would be critical that we polish our shoes because when we were going to church on Sunday, you can't present yourself to the Lord in filthy shoes. <laughs> And uh, so every week we would polish our shoes. And I remember many times it would be that the great challenge would be to polish your shoes and not get covered in shoe polish. And I remember on one occasion my brother, looking at my brother, John, uh, Jono's dad. Where is he? Jono's in here somewhere. And uh, Jono's dad. I remember looking at him and he was literally covered from his head to his feet in black shoe polish. 
He looked like he was ready to take on the enemy. And I just remember thinking, how did you do that? I mean, I understand how you get it up your f- and, and round. I understand that as a child, you're kind of doing this. You've got this shoe in your hand and you just keep going. But I don't know how you do this. I don't know how he did that. And so, but there would have been these other statements that my mum used to come up with and, and it would be all of these kind of things and, and uh, tuck your shirt in. That was the other one, wasn't it? And my grandma would come, giddy, giddy, gout, your shirt's hanging out, half a yard in and half a yard out. And so that would be the same. As soon as you heard that, in goes your shirt. And so, and then, if any of those things weren't taken, this is what my mother would say. What would the neighbours say? It was critically important to my parents. The funny thing about my parents was that they were kind of like these traditional Christians, but hippies. It was a weird world, but... Because they were kind of, they, they, they tried to break against society, but they had these strong Christian traditional sort of values, um, and they didn't sort of hold with the hippie community, but there was a kind of a, a, kind of a hippie kind of mindset in them, and, and so they were very anti-establishment, they were anti uh, the local council. They, the local council would had 666 written above the door, as far as they were concerned. And, and uh, they were anti-school. sort of school. They kind of felt like teachers were trying to ingrain some kind of communist mindset on us. And, and um, they, they, were, they were anti-doctors because they felt they were trying to drug us. And uh, they were, you know, there were a lot of those kind of things. Um, but they were very sort of, they were ex- still extremely concerned in that kind of mindset that was kind of post-war 50s conservatism, what will the neighbours say? What, do, what does a local community say? What are they going to say about us? Uh, and, what, and the other thing that they would always say is, is if um, those kind of arguments that families get into that you can't have with other people. You can't have those. There are arguments you can have with your brothers and sisters you could never have with your friends because they would soon be ex-friends. But you can get away with it, your brothers and sisters, because it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what you say, they're still your brother or sister. It's like, there's no choice. They have to live with you. And so there's a viciousness and a, and a sort of a, an untamed tongue that just, like, you know, and we were, I was the youngest of six. You can imagine there's six kids together just going for it. And sometimes we would. And, uh, and so when it got like that, my mother would stand up, and this is when it started getting serious. She would go, what would the pastor say if he were right here, right now? And that was, that was worse than the neighbours. If the, if the pastor heard this, that would be like we were going to hell. And then she would beat us. And, uh, and we would either get the slipper, or we had, a, uh, we had an ash tree, known as a weeping ash tree. Um, which, um, and uh, yeah, man, it made us weep. I can tell you that. And it, you would have these long, long branches, and she would run outside into the backyard. She would grab the ash tree, would snap off, and she would come in, and she would chase us with these sticks and, and whip us with them. It, it was a great childhood, I can tell you. It's what makes a man. And all of it was framed around what she thought other people would say, their perception of what was going on. 
in our world. And it was important for her that we, that we present the right type of life, that we are concerned with these things. And this is the reality in today's society, um, today's generation, they don't give a rip what the neighbours say. And so they kind of feel like we're free of that control, that kind of the prying neighbor. Walking through the neighborhood, you see the local neighborhood spy. There's always one, isn't there? Someone who's always kind of looking, the twitching the curtains. And uh, the, the, we used to have a neighbor just like that. And, and in fact, I remember I used to uh, walk past um, Cheryl, where um, Cheryl's uh, grandmother um, used to live. There was a, the street, there was a back street to, uh, towards her house, and we would, we would go there when we were courting go through and um but there was a you go through these footpaths but there was this one house this this old person that was lived in the house and and they spent their whole time just peering out the window just to see if someone was stepped on their grass so of course we did and you've got to give them something to live for and so and there's always, always someone that would kind of look. And so today's society is convinced they've, they've rid themselves of the, the oppression of what it, what it means to, to be controlled by what other people think. But of course it's not true at all. They've replaced the local neighborhood with uh, social media. They've replaced what the, the local neighborhood with their friends. People are still concerned what other people are saying about them. We're still concerned. We, we actually, the clothes we put on, we put them on, one, because we like them, but we like them because other people like them. Yeah. We, we, we wear them because we think to ourselves, oh, this makes me feel good, and it makes me feel good because other people look at it and go, yeah, that, that suits you. If somebody comes along, and people think that maybe, you know, maybe ladies are more kind of... Um, they're more attuned to the compliments of the clothes they put on and go, oh, that's nice. Have, have you, Cheryl's always... Cheryl goes up to neighbours, just strangers, just in the street. She goes, I love your coat. You see these women, they just melt in front of her. They go, oh, you're a complete stranger. She goes, where did you get those shoes? And I'm just thinking to myself, let's just move on. But everybody, and men just as much, they, they feel accepted. We feel accepted when we are complimented. Because we, we, we're standing, we've done something which other people recognize and they like, and you feel like we're kind of part of the gang. It's important to feel like we're part of the gang, part of the crowd. And, and, and the children of Israel, they have, come out of, they have come out of Egypt, two million of them, having lived as slaves, and that mindset of still being in a place of acceptability. They have spent 400 years, most of that time, living as slaves in Egypt. And so their mindset was such that they would, they're accepted as slaves. Their mindset was, we know where we're at when we're a slave. We know where we're at when we're under that place of control. That's our safety. If I'm accepted as that, then I know where I'm at and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But when God came to set them free, He came to deliver them. And they were very excited by the prospect of being delivered. But they couldn't shake the mindset of what it meant to be a slave. And so we read in, in, um, we read in somewhere in the Bible... We read in Exodus. 
we read in Exodus chapter 13 and verses 17. And this is the children of Israel when they're leaving Egypt. And it says here in Exodus 13 and verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. They looked like an army ready for battle. But they themselves were not an army ready for battle. It actually goes on later on to say, and I'll read it through, Exodus 14. Let me read this in verse 5. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away? So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel, who he had left, who had left, look at this, with fists raised in defiance. When the children of Israel left, they were, if it was Scotland, it would be fingers, wouldn't it? But it was... uh, But the children of Israel, they left with fists of defiance. Way we go. They were just so exuberant. But the fist did not change the mind. The mind was still living as a slave because their identity was formed in the way they had been raised. And so they were living like slaves. They were thinking like slaves. And in verse 9 it says, The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught with the people of Israel as they camped beside the shore. Verse 10, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking. They cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses said, told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will see, you see today, will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. You see, we have to understand that in verse, let me read verse 10 back of, uh, of Deuteronomy. It says here, then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord. And they will stand in awe of you. You see, the problem is, is that people only see you as you see yourself. They only see you as, as you see yourself. It doesn't matter what you put on the facade. Everyone can tell a facade. At some point, you may be able to hook someone along for a little while, but you can't do it for the whole time. 
You may be able to fake a smile. You may be able to, to, to put forward, but if you feel like you are rejected, you will live like you were rejected and people will see you as rejected. If you feel like you're defeated and broken, you will live like you are um, defeated and broken and people will see you as defeated and broken and they will respond to you in that manner. I mean, if I have at home, I have at home a drawer um, that has all my, all my mugs in and we have in there all the mugs and how many of you know that you have your mugs? Who has favourite mugs? Yeah, we've got favourite. It's amazing how you, you, you get an emotional contact with your cup, don't you? You kind of feel like... And, and there are moments in that time when you drink and you've got a certain drink and it has to be in a certain cup because it just kind of... It's that... that it tastes better in that cup. It makes you feel better in that cup. But then as that cup gets used and it gets used and it gets used, the, the glaze starts to crack and you can feel like the handle begins to get a bit of a wobble, doesn't it? And the moment it starts to weaken, you treat it differently because it's weakened. And then you're like, I like this cup, but I don't want to break this cup. And so you no longer use the cup that is broken because you don't want to lose it. So you put it in the cupboard to sit there for eternity until your grandchildren come to clear out your house. That's what happens with cups. <laughs> what a tragic tale. <laughs> See, what happens is if you present yourself broken, what happens is that you, your opportunity of life of being able to live strong and be free is no longer because people see you as broken, they treat you as broken. Broken means I don't want to handle you because you will break in front of me. I don't want that problem. I will turn and work with somebody else. But God said to the children of Israel, He's speaking to them who they're thinking like slaves. They're thinking like they're still in captivity. And Moses is giving this command, the nations will stand in awe of you because they will see you as somebody different. You see, how we are seen is how we present ourselves. They see something different because there is something different in our lives. And what happens is that the children of Israel that were coming out of Egypt, they had something different going on, but it hadn't yet captured their heart. And God wants you to understand today that, that He wants you to understand that that the world will see you different and opportunities will break open for you in a different way because you carry in your heart something different. You present to yourself, you present to them something different. But something different comes from a confidence that comes from God. And confidence, turn with me, will you, to, to the book of Numbers. You know, Numbers chapter 6, you know, I've met, um, I've met uh, some people who would come and complain and say, people are talking about me. Do you know, I want you to know, yes, they are. <laughs> you know, they, you know say, people come and go, I'm talking about, and the natural is, no, people are not talking about, of course they're talking about you. 
Everybody talks about everybody. You are in this world, are you not? You are in this room, are you not? You're in here. I reckon, as the pastor of this church, I probably take up a lot of your conversations when I'm not around. I dread to think what you sometimes say about me. But I am in your world. Of course you're talking about me. And I want you to know something. I talk about you too. (laughs) But the person who carries rejection believes in the paranoia that they are broken and living in slavery. But you have been liberated from slavery. You have been liberating from that brokenness. And I want you to know, when I look at my church, I don't see slaves and I don't see broken. I see a conquering army that God has given us to take over this city. I believe in this church. I believe in the people who come to this church. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what has happened to you. I don't care what happened in your past. I am not remotely interested. I am only interested in the future that God has laid out before you. The blessing that he has for your life. It says here in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you. In the old version it would say, may his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favour. Or it literally means lift his face upon you and give you his peace. You know, I want you to understand that the most critical development that a child goes through is face-to-face contact with their mum and dad. That's what a, a child has to see the smile of their parent that they may form an identity in a place of assurance. We feel rejected because we haven't seen God. I want you to know the Bible says that God looks upon you and smiles. But when God smiles at us, it puts within us not just confidence, but identity. Many people say, I I don't have an identity. It's become a a modern sort of idiom. It's it's that thing that everyone is looking for. I, I need to find my identity, my purpose in life. Well, I want you to know that your identity is always formed in God's smile as he looks upon you. When he looks upon you, the confidence of who you are begins to, begins to rise up. And what you are searching for in life, what you are crying out for in life, what God, it rises up within you because he has already invest, invested into you the gifts that he placed upon you when you were born. The call of God that he placed upon you, that he predestined upon your heart. That which he said of you, it's rising up. All you need is his smile to to propagate that seed that has begun to release within your heart. And suddenly you begin to feel confident again. How confident have you felt? How many of you can remember back into your childhood and you're you're not sure and you look into an adult's eyes, whether they're your parents or whether there's a school teacher or whether it's someone who's just, and they smile and everything just goes, it's okay. Identity is formed in the smile. God smiles upon us and the Bible says he gives us favor or he turns his face. That turning his face or lifts his face, sorry, he lifts his face to us is is very important because what it means is that 
His face is being lifted towards us. Our life is now in the place of God's face. When we wake up in the morning, God's face is looking upon us. When we go out, His face looks upon us. He has lifted His face upon you. That when you go out into the world, when you face that place of, of, of where you're not sure, you don't understand, you see confidence of how you are seen in the world. We are all worried about what the world, how the world sees us. But when we see ourselves in God, suddenly there comes a confidence and we see ourselves differently with the world. And they see the person who has overcome and stands in victory. Now many people kind of feel like they've got to fix everything. This is what you've got to understand, right? Every problem that you're going through in your world, the people sitting next to you, they can't see it. They can't see it. Alright? They see the broken, they see the person who's nervous, but they don't know what the details are. They don't know the details of your life. They don't know the thoughts that you just thought right then and they flashed across your eyes. There isn't a printed readout. Hallelujah. <laughs> there isn't a big screen that goes on revealing all the fears and the thoughts that are in our head. So people don't see this. So this is what happens, right? When somebody comes to, wants to work on their life a bit and maybe they want to improve their health and you look at them and you go, wow, yeah, they're looking better. Maybe they've done their hair and you go, whoa, their hair has been done. How amazing. And then, and then people go, have you seen so-and-so? They've really changed. But you've only made a small adjustment. But people's perception is much bigger than the actual shift that's gone in, in, in your heart. I want you to know that you don't need a massive miracle. You just need that shift that goes on in your heart. You just need that shift that turns and sees God's smile is upon me. It's okay. The world will stand in awe of what God is doing in my life. One of the things I love about this house is how much we celebrate the lives of one another. And people stand up and they give this testimony. And we just, we just explode with joy because of a testimony, a small moment that has happened in our lives. We see that victory that has happened in somebody's life and we celebrate and stand in awe of what God has done. You see, God has broken through in our lives. The Bible says, let me finish with this, in Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 35, it says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will will receive all that He has promised. You see, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, Don't throw away this confidence that you have in God. He smiles on you. And His smile is actually all you need for the confidence to face this world. We spend our life afraid of what the world says about us. What are they saying about us? What's the church saying about us? What are people saying about us? I, I want you to know it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what's going on in your world, a person who carries forth the confident smile of God's face radiating from him to you and out to them, touches people's lives. 
regardless of your struggles. Because your problems cannot speak louder than God's victory. They cannot speak louder. And all you have to do is just be confident in the reflection of God's grace and His love upon your life as He smiles on you. All the other stuff, it's irrelevant because you're bringing forth in a blessing. You're bringing forth an amazing breakthrough. You're bringing forth something which God has promised in this great blessing. The nations will stand in awe of you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.